What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Weiss Sports Chronicles podcast. We've made it. It's the end of 2020, and it's time for our year in review show on the podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by managing editor and CEO of 49 Sportnet, Ben Steiner, as we each break down our top 10 stories in a wild, unprecedented, and unforgettable 2020. I want to take this time to thank each of the listeners who have subscribed and watched and listened to my podcast all the way through. I've produced over 90 episodes, and what started as a quarantine project has now become a fixture in my sports content creation. I want to thank the guests who have volunteered their time out of their busy schedules to come chat with me about their careers, providing helpful advice to young journalists looking to break into the industry. I'm excited for what 2021 has in store. We have a lot of great ideas and guests. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Happy New Year. Without further ado, let's get to the Year in Review show with Ben Steiner on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, it is our Year in Review show on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. And what better way to bring back Ben Steiner for not his first time, not his second time, but his third time on the podcast. Ben Steiner, welcome back, my friend. Definitely happy to be back, and it's been a wild year, so I'm uh, looking forward to counting down some of the best moments from the year. Yeah, and I mean, wild is certainly one way to put it. Uh, unprecedented, I feel like I've heard that phrase used uh, a jillion times to uh to describe it but uh, again thank you for having thank you for coming back ben to the pod if you have not already heard ben episode two was the first time ben was on we talked a lot about how ben got in this industry is one of the leading voices of uh sports coverage episode 41 he was on a round table with uh justin levine puck authority as well as josh kim and ben i feel like i, I have to say this off the top before we get in the top 10 you're a top 30 under 30 for Canadian media. So, like, that's a cool thing. Congratulations. Uh, thanks so much. I was really not expecting that. I mean, their podcast uh, fairly regularly because I'm interested in sort of Canadian sports media and uh, sort of what their podcast all, always talks about. And I was listening to the podcast and I heard my name. And I just totally threw my off. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, at Between the Stakes, a soccer website I write for, Alex Gongeruzic, he was on the list last year. And, uh, we were sort of joking last year that uh, he does a bunch of national soccer stuff, and um, I was really not expecting to make those. But uh, thank you very much, and uh, I mean, it's an honor to be on that list. I mean, you see some of the other names. I don't really think of myself in that same regard. No, no, Ben. You know, if anyone knows Ben, he, uh, you know, he he grinds, and he's, uh, you know, as I said, one of the leading voices of U Sports. And here's hoping, Ben. U Sports in 2021. Let's hope uh, we get back to that. You know, when, when it's safe to do so, but. Before we get into, Ben, the top 10 moments of the year, let's, I mean, look, COVID-19, I feel like, defines this year. I mean, and, and, and I look back to March 11th, 2020, Rudy Gobert tests positive for the coronavirus, the NBA shuts down its season, and I think, like, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I feel like that moment made the world pay attention. May, and got people saying, okay, like this is no joke. It's serious. And our whole way of life 
really began to change from that moment, and, and the sports world certainly did. I think not only the sports world changed at that moment, but everything changed. The next morning, I didn't have class the next morning. Yeah. When Rudy Gobert tested positive and the game was called off, I was at a bar with a few friends after a class. Can you imagine being at a bar with a few friends right now? <laughs> no. It, it, it's insane. Like, you, you don't think of that as a possibility. There was no regard for masks. There was no distancing whatsoever. Like, it just, it's crazy how it all changed within 24 hours. I think we can all sort of remember that week, like, the World Health Organization came out and they declared it a pandemic, and we didn't really know what that meant to a lot of people. And then no masks, then masks, then masks became political. Uh, and then sports went on hold for two weeks and then a month and then indefinitely and then they came back and then they left again it, it's been weird but you can look back to that week of like march 11th to march 18th or so and just everything changed so quickly it was so hard to get a sense of what the world was going to be or what was even happening or what you were supposed to do so everybody seemingly stayed inside and we're just terrified of this potential virus and now i think we're looking at the virus is everywhere and people don't have that same level of uh, scaredness. And so that's why we can't get out of it as fast as maybe we could. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And and I totally agree. I, I was in Florida. My, my journalism program at Centennial did a week in spring training. And, like, I mean, we all know Florida. It's now a big joke. You know, it, it's the brunt of many jokes in terms of their COVID-19 response. But, uh, but yeah, no, it, it certainly was surreal. And I think it, it, it certainly, um, you know, laid the foundation for a lot of uh, events to happen uh, throughout the course of the year. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the top 10 moments of 2020 because we, because there are still stories. There are still moments that occurred in the sporting world in 2020. So before we get to your number 10, Ben, what was your criteria when, when you look at sort of ranking um, the top 10 moments of the year in 2020? So my, it might not be a top 10 that you would see in the New York Post or the New York Times or somewhere like that where it, they would, those would count down, okay, you have Patrick Mahomes uh, dominate the Super Bowl and win that one with a crowd in February before everything came down. <laughs> uh, then you have uh, all, all the bubble stuff. and Sure, that that's something. But I think there's something to a lot of the smaller sports as well. Yeah. And how smaller sports who you wouldn't expect to get through the pandemic somehow have figured it out. So I think uh, once we get into my list, that sort of is reflected in that. Um, but I also think there's some things that you just can't uh, you can't forget and you can't not recognize. And uh, those are definitely in my list as well. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly agree. I mean, you know, don't accuse me of being, uh, you know, working for the New York Post, New York Times, because I do have some of those moments in my list, but. I also think, too, that there are moments, I think, off the field of play that, that certainly intersected with sports that I certainly um, paid uh, close attention to as well. And I think more than any other year in 2020, I mean, that's certainly um, those intersections, I, I think, were, were, you know, transcended what, uh, what happened on the field. So that will certainly be in the consideration. So, Ben, without further ado, what's your number 10? My number 10 would actually bring us right into the middle of quarantine, and it's going to be The Last Dance, mm. a Netflix special uh, about Michael Jordan and that legendary Chicago Bulls team. The Last Dance really unified everybody. When everyone was really following the COVID rules and everyone was inside, 
there was nothing to watch. I mean, we all watched Tiger King at one point. That was back in March. <laughs> uh, I think we all probably watched one of the pandemic movies, whether it be Contagion or Pandemic or something like that. Everybody went through phases, but even non-basketball fans watched The Last Dance because Michael Jordan is a cultural icon. He's not just a basketball player. Uh, and so I think that was a unifying factor. And so one of my top 10 sports moments is actually about sports 30 years ago. Yeah, look, you know, that that documentary certainly is one of the best documentaries that I've ever seen. I think, you know, the way it was shot, the the amount of people that they got for the documentary, the fact that it's been sort of, it's been footage that's been, you know, there for so long, but it took so long to get approved from, from Michael Jordan and whatnot. And look, every Sunday night to be able to interact with social media about a documentary, it felt a little surreal. I mean, back in those, you know, that 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 the lockdown, the first quarantine phase, back when this podcast was called the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles, not just the Wii Sports Chronicles. I think uh, it certainly was um, a great moment for sure to see just you know an absolute athletic icon and some of the the, the memorable uh, moments. And it's become a lot of memes, Ben. I mean, like I took that personally, like that, like that meme has become you know big. The whole. Dennis Rodman, like, you know, facial or, you know, thing or, you know, using his hands. That's also become a thing. So I, I think we're going to talk about the last dance for, for many years to come but beyond 2020. I know for me, it took a little while to get actually into the show because mm. I'm not the biggest basketball fan. I'm not exactly a basketball nerd. So I knew that the Chicago Bulls were this legendary team, but I didn't know sort of the minutia of it and all the details. And so at first when I saw that there was this show, I didn't immediately get into it, but then everybody started watching it. People that don't like sports started watching it. And so I sort of figured what else is there to do? And I watched it. And uh, how could you not love the stories that were told throughout that? Um, so I think that was pretty unbelievable. So my number 10, and you're already going to see my Canadian bias uh, shine through, was actually way back in January when Team Canada won the World Juniors. And, you know, not, not every year I put can I mean look I mean when, when Canada wins gold of the world juniors in this country it's it's always a huge moment and I get it's at the beginning of the year so people may forget about it but this was one of the the memorable tournaments like you look at Alexi Lafreniere dominating and, and finally showing why he was a deserved number one pick in in, in the 2020 draft to the New York Rangers you add the story of Barrett Hayton getting injured and then scoring a big goal um, in the gold medal game. And then the fact that Team Canada came back and, and, and had to overcome a deficit to their arch rival, the Russians, was also something that was truly remarkable. And, and, and you can't beat that goal um, from Akil Thomas, a, the, the LA Kings prospect, uh, the game-winning goal it turned out to be to complete the comeback. And... Look, I mean, Alexi Lafreniere was the star of Team Canada, but, you know, there were a lot of other players that, that you know, certainly had an impact. And as we get into the World Juniors a year later, a lot of them are returning, like a Quinton Byfield, a Bowen Byram, uh, Dylan Cousins, just to name a few. So that's my number 10 moment, uh, the World Team Canada winning at the World Juniors. Yeah, I would uh, think that would rank pretty high in me too, and, I mean, I remember watching some of those games at Real Sports Bar in Toronto as well. So <laughs> you just can't imagine watching sports and everybody jumping up and shouting. So 
just sort of re recalling some of those memories, uh, sitting shivers down my spine. Um, but I don't know whether Team Canada won the gold medal or whether it was Team Camera that won the gold medal. Oh, um, right. The, uh, the puck bounced off the camera uh, and didn't give Canada a, a delay of game penalty. So um, it was definitely a weird game, a weird bounce, uh, and the start to a weird year. No kidding, no kidding. Um, so I'll so I'll jump in next with uh, with with my number nine, and that's Lewis Hamilton. Um, and you know Ben, you you know me, I'm not not maybe the biggest F1 guy, but like you can't deny what Lewis Hamilton did this year. And Formula One was one of those sports like we maybe mentioned off the top that you know did occur, you know did you know come back and and it's done pretty well throughout the pandemic. I think it's certainly got a, a new generation of fans to talk about it to to engage with it i know it's become a lot more popular on social media as a result of the pandemic but you can't deny the greatness of lewis hamilton it just felt like every single time he went in the vehicle he was on the track he dominated and i just think look in, in sports we we love you know the underdog story we love to see parody but Sometimes we love a dominant figure in a respective sport. So, so my number nine is the athletic accomplishments of Lewis Hamilton, who I believe tied Michael Schumacher. And Michael Schumacher is an, an, an F1 legend. So, so the fact that he's considered to be one of the goats of the sport already, uh, Lewis Hamilton, he's, he, he's my number nine. I think that's definitely a good choice for number nine. Uh, he's not on my list. Uh, my list, I am sticking... Uh, with a more European-based sport, and uh, I am going to go with uh, the English Premier League champions, uh, Liverpool, that mm -hmm. won 30-year title drought. And I mean, for all all of my life, and I'm only 20, uh, I've always thought of them as a very successful club. Yet, until winning uh, the Europa League and then eventually the Champions League and now the Premier League, it had never really happened. And then, of course, there was worries that maybe the season got cancelled, and they would have not gotten cancelled if the Premier League trophy. So, I think just seeing Liverpool win the title for the first time in my life. Uh, was just pretty cool because I've always thought of them as this successful club. And I don't really know what it changes in sort of the global landscape of world football because Liverpool has already been this successful club. They won the Champions League before they won the Premier League. Um, but I think it is just a validation to lifelong Liverpool fans, who many of whom have never seen their team win a title. No, for sure. And like I remember getting texts from, from, from Liverpool, Liverpool fans like in tears, like like just thinking about like the significance of this moment, and like you you can sort of, it can sort of be analogous to Ben if the Leafs ever win a Stanley Cup, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series after a hundred uh, over a hundred year drought. Like there are probably fans of Liverpool that grew up and you know their life occurred and they never saw their team win. So to me, like the fact that you know that that occurred for, for that fan base, uh, definitely well deserved. And, and I think it's just great for soccer because look, we we saw we we, we you know we grew tired of the dominance of Real and, and Barca and, and those teams. That I think it's nice to have an EPL team back dominating that that, that you can be proud of. And I think people just they have a thing for British soccer. Yeah, it feels more authentic, real. I think North America has an obsession with Britishness in general. Yep. Um, not necessarily a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but, I mean, people love the Royals. You just look at what's on Netflix right now. You have uh, The Crown, The Queen's Gambit, things that are British shows uh, or based in Britain shows, but marketing off a uh, U.S. audience. 
Um, so clearly there's an obsession there. And I think with Liverpool finding themselves at the top of Europe and the top of the Premier League, uh, it's something sort of just exciting for everybody who loves the Britishness that has sort of transcended the world. And their song, You'll Never Walk Alone, is always uh, a treasure to hear and certainly uh, gets my hair standing when it's like all in unison in, 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 uh, in their stadium. Ben, what's your number eight? My number eight, we're going to stick a little more locally and we're going to go the secret $1 million donation, secret deodorant $1 million donation mm. to the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, the PWHPA. You've never seen something like that yeah. go to women's hockey before. And the PWHPA, they don't really have any income. They mm-hmm. survive solely off sponsorships and events. And of course, right now you can't have events. But not only did they start the year off with a bang with the Dream Showcase, Dream Gap Showcase Tour uh, that was also sponsored by Secret. And there were games at Ryerson. There were games across the GTA that were packed with hockey fans because they knew that these were Olympic-level elite players on the ice. And then just last month, there was a $1 million um, grant that uh, Secret gave to the PWHPA that's really going to fund and keep alive the PWHPA and the dream of a suitable women's hockey league. And I think that's so important, especially considering that the NWHL is now making inroads into Canada. Yeah, and, and look, to, to, you know, you know, 2020 has, has been a year of uh, promoting, supporting women's sports. It's really been at the forefront, I think, of, of what what's made 2020 this year in sports. And, and that's just another example. And, and, and I hope that as we get into 2021 and, and life comes, it comes back to normal, that I think we can continue that momentum. Um, from a, from a donation like this, and and get more get more eyeballs on on this. I mean, get get more you know people like yourself and Justin Levine and, and Haley Salvian at the Athletic to be writing about women's hockey. And and uh, I think if we can continue that that momentum going forward, I think it'll be very great for for the success of the P you know PWHPA and and, and the NWHL as well. My number eight, I'm actually sticking with. Uh, women's sports. It is Naomi Osaka uh, winning win, winning the U.S. Open, and, and and I think for for any tennis fans, she is an icon, um, both both on and off the court. Uh, she she of course rose to the tennis scene in 2018, winning the U.S. Open with uh, a lot of controversy in that match with uh, Serena Williams. We, we we won't get into it here, but you know she she definitely deservedly won. The U.S. Open. Then she follows it up at the Australian Open in 2019 in a three-set victory, and then she gets to number one in the world. and And she then talks about how like she began to struggle with with fame and just you know being at that position, the pressures and the expectations that come with it. Of course, she then doesn't win another Grand Slam the rest of 2019. 2020 doesn't have a great start to her season, and then the pandemic happens. But when the pandemic happened, and then of course the the subsequent uh, tragic murder of George Floyd, she actually went to Minneapolis, Ben, to walk in those protests. So there are people who, you know, sometimes you know when it comes to Black Lives Matter and, and those actions, do sometimes performative actions. She actually walked the walk. Like she actually traveled from California to Minneapolis to to really raise awareness about um, the, these anti-black racism issues. And of course, at the U.S. Open, she you know wears a mask at, after every match, and on the mask is the name of someone that's been tragically murdered uh, due to police brutality. And she also led the charge for tennis to take a day off 
after um, the Jacob Blake shooting, and that was uh, during the, the in, in August that, that led to all sports uh, having a day of pause and, and whatnot. So it wasn't just what she did off the court. She was dominant on the court at that U.S. Open. Like, no one seemed to be at her level of tennis. She got back to her dominant self and, and was able to win a tight three-setter against uh, Victoria Azarenka. So she's, she's the number one player in the world, deservedly so. She has three grand slams already in the span of basically two years. So she's my number eight story, Naomi Osaka. You actually took that one right out of my mouth. Uh, I was going to say Naomi Osaka for not necessarily this one coming up, but maybe even higher up the list. Uh, but one of the things I think I do want to mention, and this will actually be my number eight moment, uh, or number seven moment, I think we're at, yeah. uh, is the, the the pause that sports took in August mm. when human rights and just, I mean, human rights, being a human took precedence over athletic ability. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you can put it. I mean, I was a bit, I'm always at a bit of a loss for words for exactly how to describe what happened. Like, sure, it was triggered by another tragic murder, but for once, being a human was more important than sports. And yeah. it always leaves me speechless when mm-hmm. that was happening and when I think back to it. But just think the NBA players boycotted the game the nhl eventually did it um basically all sports stopped for a couple days um cpl players which we'll get into a bit later canadian premier league while they didn't stop play they every single player in the league wore a black lives matter t-shirt and surrounded the field and they stood silent for i think it was eight minutes um which is just unbelievable to me the the fact that being a human meant so much after sports seemed to objectify so many people yeah, and, and 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 I I actually had that moment a bit higher, and and, and you know, and, and I'll talk about it a bit later. But I think, I mean, we saw the conversations um, leading up to the NBA. Uh, I mean, I'll call it what it is a wildcat strike. You know, they basically just said, you know, we're not going to play today. And you heard, you know, Fred Van Vliet from from the Toronto Raptors basically say, like, I mean, I'm tired. I'm tired of having to come to this press conference, this media availability. And I have to stand here and answer the same questions again about race. And this is what a lot of black athletes feel. And and and, and that took precedence um, over just athletic ability. And, and, and I think as, as media members and as people just in general who are consumers of sports, we look at these athletes, but they are human beings after all. And, and, and as much as they have, you know, insane athletic ability that not many people possess... They also, you know, have a lot of the same feelings, emotions that, that, that you and I do. And I think as you, and, and you right, you know, rightfully said it, I mean, putting, you know, human existence, what it mean, the essence of being human over athletic ability, I think, uh, you know, is very important. I think it made a lot of media people, the general public think of these athletes in a different light, which I think is uh, incredibly important. Yeah, I think so as well. And uh, I would definitely mention that. Uh, higher up the list, but I think it worked well with uh, your Naomi Osaka moment as well. So I figured I would mention it now. Great, uh, great job there, Ben. Um, my number seven is another tennis moment, and that was Rafael Nadal. Um, Rafa once again dominating um, at the French Open. And, and look, I mean, this is one of, like there's death, there's taxes, and there's Rafa Nadal winning at the French Open. I mean, he's you know truly. The Kina Clay just doesn't even, you know, come close to describing. He has 13 
Let's re- let me let me repeat that. Thirteen French Opens, and to think that he is still dominating the clay surface at his age in 2020 after not playing a lot of tennis. I mean, he was you know in in Spain. He he talked very candidly again just about dealing with the pandemic, not being able to go out and, and, and enjoy life, really. And I think he was one of the few athletes that, to me, encapsulated what this what this 2020 year meant in sports. He basically said, like, this isn't normal. I'm not happy. You shouldn't be happy. And, like, basically saying, like, look, this is just not a normal time we're living in. And he, and he, and he said, like, I hope that my tennis can be a distraction for people um, going through a lot in, in 2020. And certainly he put on a spectacular performance, beating he, one of his arch rivals, Novak Djokovic, in the final in straight sets. He ties Roger Federer, Ben. Think about this. Have two players in the same era have 20 grand slams apiece. Just goes to show you how uh, dominant Rafa has been um, in the tennis world. So he is my number seven story for 2020. I think that's a great number seven story because I think so often, and we'll realize it when they retire, we don't realize what we're seeing in tennis yeah. with Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. It's, and I mean, you can throw Novak Djokovic in that conversation mm-hmm. as well. It's insane what the tennis world is seeing right now. It's similar in the soccer world with uh, Messi and Ronaldo. To have the debate of the best all time and to have those players playing at the same time, it's a treat you're never going to have again. So in every sport a lot of that is coming to an end over the next three to five years um so enjoy while you can because tennis somebody's going to be on top and there's not necessarily going to be that one-two punch that like we've seen for a long long time no and like the big three have been the narrative for tennis for quite some time and like i mean already like there, there's rumor about roger Federer in 2021 him handing up the sneakers I like to think like so much of my tennis consumption career has been those three guys. It'll just be like surreal when they leave the game. Cause like they were ultimately probably one of the reasons why I got into following tennis so closely. Uh, ben, let's go to number six. So for number six, we just spoke about some older athletes and I'm actually going to stick on one older athlete specifically. And that's Christine St. Clair. Yep. She became the all-time leading goal scorer in international soccer. I'm not talking women's international soccer, but international soccer as a whole. She scored 186 goals. She did so in front of a few fans in Texas in February. I remember watching that that match uh, in the back of a lecture hall. Uh, I can't imagine a full lecture hall. can't imagine a live soccer match in front of fans in Texas. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just unbelievable that she's still going at it. She still was one of the top scorers in the NWSL this year with the Portland Thorns. Um, and she's there's even talk that she might do another World Cup, another Olympic cycle, um, and she'll be 40 in that age range. But she's taken such good care of her body and has adjusted her game in such a way that she's still effective, really, in the twilight of her career, and she's still one of the best players out there. But one person I do want to give a bit of a mention to, you might not even know the name, but his name's Martin Dukers, and he's a uh, luge athlete, mm-hmm. and he has been one of the most dominant luge athletes over the last 10 years he dominated the 2010 olympics he's always in the conversation whenever world cup race it is and he won the first couple races in uh this fil luge season that just started so he's been absolutely dominant and i know it's not a sport that a lot of people necessarily follow um but martin's dukers to me has to be one of the most successful athletes 
of the last 10 years, but many people won't know his name. Well, wait, Ben, wait. When the 2022 Olympics come around, remember, these people become experts in luge. Like, remember that, right? Remember when people, you know, they become experts in luge, like figure skating, bobsleigh. Like, like that's when, you I mean, you know, people like become experts in, uh, in those sports. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you, you look at uh, what comes around every four years. I don't think people realize that there's a podium every week in ski racing yeah cover ski racing there's a there was a podium this morning Canada was on the podium yeah race this morning with kevin jury and mariel thompson uh, the day that we're recording this there's a ski cross race in uh, arosa switzerland people don't realize that these events exist outside of the four years uh but of course when four years comes around everybody's the biggest uh ski fan the biggest uh snowboard fan the biggest curling fan even um <laughs> it's just it's nuts what happens what happens every four years and it's really the magic of the Olympic spirit and the magic of the Olympic Games. Um, but I think people just sort of forget that this happens all year, every year. Quickly before I go to my number six, I mean, when you look at Christine Sinclair, like how, like she, she's been just, you know, such a dominant figure in, in soccer. But I just think too, like when you look at the history of Canadian women's sports, like she's got to be up there as one of the best and, and and it's just like to me she does it in just you know you know a way that you know is so you know gracious and just you know she's just such a role model i i think for so many young athletes and and it's just amazing like you said i mean to, to be able to keep doing this at such a you know can, you know you know she's you know in the twilight of her career to be still dominating is pretty remarkable I think there's really only two athletes who are in that same conversation and it's Haley Wickenheiser and Christy yeah. Sinclair, uh, for what they've done for their respective sports. It's just unbelievable. And I think for, for women in sport, there's a whole lot of people who've really helped women in sport over the last 20, 30 years. Um, but in terms of inspiring a nation, inspiring not only women, but I know I used to really look up to Christine Sinclair when I was uh, playing competitive soccer and when I wanted to, begin finishing better i know i looked at uh, a, lo a lot of christine sinclair footage um to adjust my finishing technique and i mean she's clinical finisher so that's what i adopted when i was playing it wasn't copying uh, any canadian men's player because i mean the only successful guy we've had until recently has been atipa hodgkinson and he's a central defender or a central defensive midfielder so not not too exciting uh in terms of the excitement factors that you see on the pitch but christine sinclair she was scoring games scoring the game for a while uh so that was somebody the most after when i was playing so speaking of another soccer player my number six alfonso davies fonzie and look i mean the year that he had um one of the most impressive years uh any canadian soccer player has ever had and and you know really in the conversation um, with, with Christine Sinclair, and, and he's only 20 years old. I mean, when you look at the fact that he was featured in, in 33 games. With, I think he really hit the mainstream. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he finally hit the mainstream. Uh, 33 games with Bundesliga's Bayern Munich, winning, you know, the, the Bundesliga Champions League title. He earns five trophies this year, went on a 23-game win streak unbeaten for 32 matches and look he's also the canadian player of the year for the second time in three years 
the co-winner of the 2020 Lou Marsh Trophy. I mean, you, you can't, I mean, I know this is Canadian. I, I know I'm showing my bias here, but boy, it's not too far of a reach to say that Alfonso Davies is one of the best uh, left backs in the world. And uh, he is my number six uh, story of 2020. I think Alfonso Davies is definitely uh, one of the best stories of 2020. He, I think, I know I got into a bit of argument with you on this uh, when the uh, uh, Lou Marsh Trophy was being awarded, but he should have won it outright. I mean, really, there should be two trophies. I think we can both agree on that. I know we haven't discussed that, that there should be two trophies, but I really do think that if you play three games in a year, you should not be in the conversation to win an Athlete of the Year award. So I think the Lou Marsh should stay for athletic achievement and then maybe a charitable achievement or something sort of like that um, to recognize people like Laurent Duvernier-Tardif, who definitely needed something to recognize what he's done, um, but I don't think a tie in the Lou Marsh is necessarily the one. What disappoints me is the voting in the Lou Marsh was 18-18-1, and that one went to Jamal Murray. I don't know who voted for that, um, but I would have much preferred somebody just pick this side because for somebody who's more of a soccer fan, soccer reporter than a football fan, uh, it still felt like a loss to see Alfonso mm. Davies tie for the Lou Marsh. It didn't feel like a win. It didn't feel like a harmonious sort of thing. It still felt like a loss because he was so dominant. He had the most successful year that any soccer player in the world could have, mm. and it wasn't good enough to earn all the eyes in the room. It should have been unanimous Alfonso Davies. Um, but just because you can't watch his games every week means he didn't win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's certainly uh, certainly a fair point. I think the criteria is certainly uh, very vague. I mean, it's very open-ended. Um, and, and I think the fact that it is, I mean, you've seen winners in the past. I mean, I mean you've seen Terry Fox win the Lou Marsh. You've seen Rick Hansen win the Lou Marsh. I mean, they're all, so, I mean, I think what I'll say is, like, while I, while I agree like, you know, for the both. And, like, I think, like, your point about having, like, a separate trophy, I think would, would actually be pretty good. Because I think, especially after 2020, I think we need to recognize humanitarian efforts of athletes who are Canadian. Um, I think the fact that it did, like, like the voting went that way. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to lobby, um, you know, this just, just for the sake of it. Like, at least, at least it did, you know, go that way in the voting. Um, you know, who knows what happens behind the scenes and I'm not here to like, you know, say what, what happens or question that, but, uh, it is something, it, it is a little poetic bit that, uh, that a draw, uh, for, for, to use a soccer phrase, uh, were to, were to happen there, but, uh, but I digress. It's a draw. I'm sure you can draw whatever parallels you want to the game of soccer, but Alfonso Davies is a game changer, and yeah. he makes sure that games don't end in draws. He makes sure they end in wins. So, uh, <laughs> he's going to have a long career. He's only 20 years old. Uh, he's yeah. an exciting player. He's going to have many more years like this, especially at a club like Byron, who will spend through the roof to make sure they have success around Davies. Um, he's going to win the Lou Marsh like, straight out multiple times throughout his career. I'm, I'm not worried about that, but I really do think that as a 19- and 20-year-old this year, he really should have won it over a guy who played three games. Ben, number five. For number five, I'm actually going to go with something that nobody in North America knows all that well. But I think it was one moment in an England versus South Africa cricket game near the end of a game that was earlier in the year. Ben Stokes, the British bowler, hit three wickets, three straight wickets, and beat South Africa for the second consecutive time. 
it was match performance from the Englishman, and it was just unbelievable. I don't watch much cricket, but I was watching that match, uh, and what he did in that match was unbelievable. And I think that when England sees success in cricket, whether it's cricket or soccer, one of their two main sports, um, the country goes wild. And so beating South Africa for a second consecutive time in the way that Ben Stokes made it happen, it's just unifying. And I think anytime you see a country unified, it has to be pretty high on the list. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I did not watch that moment, but I know, like, I know how important, uh, speaking to some of my friends that, you know, cricket is. And, and, and it's a true, Ben, that, like, there are matches that can last days, correct? Which is, like, which is surreal for me. Like, when I think, like, baseball is too long or football is too long, well, wait, like, cricket can actually last days. There's different versions of cricket, so uh, mm. test can last days. That's sort of the traditional cricket. Yeah. Um, but there's also a 2020 cricket, which is just 20 overs, uh, which is a lot more doable. And when I used to play cricket, uh, we played 2020, and that was uh, <laughs> three to four hours. So still a long event, right? But uh, it does not take days, and it's not all that too taxing. So my number five um, is, you know, a little bit uh, sad. It, it's 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 all the sports deaths that that occurred in 2020 and and like i think like you look at some of these names it's like wow like, like a lot of people uh you know left us and and of course you know probably near the top of the list is kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, which happened early in the year and and i just think that uh yeah i mean you know when you know I, it's sort of like march 11th which we talked about earlier we remember where we were at that moment like i remember where I was when I found out the news. It was TMZ, and, and usually TMZ doesn't get this stuff uh, wrong. So when they reported the death, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, is this actually real? And then Woj put out the tweet confirming it. And I remember like just like the misinformation from that moment, first of all. So it was a real lesson for any young journalists. Like, don't tweet out something as important as death unless you know 100% certain it's factual. Because there was a lot of misinformation there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at Kobe's death, I think of a lot in baseball. Tom Seaver, Joe Morgan, Bob Gibson, um, Diego Maradona recently. I mean, a lot of these figures were were complicated. Um, they, they weren't perfect, but they were human. And I think because of those human qualities, a lot of people resonated with them. And I think with, with Kobe... He was certainly having an act of his career that maybe could have been better than his actual basketball act. Like he was promoting women's sports, he was promoting women's basketball, the whole girl dad uh, concept, and his and his filmmaking career. And it was just obviously a very sad moment for for a city and 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 and, and the sporting community. So I just put all the deaths in sports. I mean, there's so many that that have left us, and I think every year you should. Uh, you know, put that in there, and and for me, I, you know, I I know it's number five here, but I mean, like, you, you shouldn't put a ranking, but it's obviously something I should uh, should definitely mention because boy, a lot of uh, you know important names left us. Yeah, I mean, you speak about the two moments this year where you knew where you were, you knew where you were when Rudy Gobert tested positive or was told he tested positive, uh, and you knew where you were when Kobe died, and you knew where you were when. Uh, Diego Maradona died and it in all of those moments it's almost a intersection of where the year was at COVID wise as well yeah because I remember with Kobe I was actually at the CAA center in Brampton 
getting set, getting my notes organized for a Brampton Beast versus Kalamazoo Wings hockey game. Uh, and I was at a hockey game. I wasn't wearing a mask. There was communal food in the uh, in the <laughs> press box, like things you just wouldn't think of today. Um, and that news started to come out, and a group chat of my friends started just blowing up. Uh, I was scrolling through Twitter. I got completely the task at hand of covering the game just sort of faded into the background for yeah. 20 minutes or so while I just completely got attached to what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just stunning to me. I, I mean, I'm not the biggest basketball fan. I never really looked up to Kobe, but it was, I, I know a lot of the, I don't know whether you call them memes or popularity things, uh, was when you throw a piece of trash into the trash can, you say Kobe, yep. stuff like that. Um, that's something that, has happened throughout high school, elementary school. Like that's always been present in my life. And to think like this is the guy. And I mean, even if he wasn't a famed basketball player, just hearing about a dad and his daughter crashing and dying is it's heartbreaking. And I mean, as somebody who has lost a parent, Mm -hmm. it is just, I can't imagine, or I can't imagine, but also can't imagine. It it puts me in a weird, a weird place Mm -hmm. considering what the rest of his family was going through, because I know, everything changes the entire dynamic changes the yeah. entire life changes and i know for a lot of people it won't really sink in for a number of years um but it, it, i think i had a bit of a somewhat unique mm-hmm. um point of view on it but it, it was just shocking to me I'll, I'll leave it at that um it, it can bring me to tears thinking yeah about that. Uh, and then of course the rudy gobert thing you know where you were uh and then i so i was at a crowded bar right so, uh, when that was happening <laughs> Again, you, you don't think of doing that now. And then uh, with the Diego Maradona just a few weeks ago, uh, I was sitting in my bedroom away from everybody. So yeah. you can sort of see where the world has gone in the year. Yeah. Um, just by where you were at those three moments. No kidding. No kidding. Um, ben, num- we're, we're now heading into the final four. What is your number four? So my number four is the success of Canadian leagues this year. I'll start off. Uh, mm-hmm. with the Canadian Elite Basketball League. They successfully did a bubble in yeah. uh, Niagara, and they got the season off the ground, and it wasn't even a completely closed bubble. Like, it was a little uh, open. People could go for dinner and just be within what restrictions were in that local area it was just unbelievable to see what was put into that tournament what came out of that tournament and where it sort of leaves canadian basketball at now i know we had a bunch of canadian players who earned a name playing for the national team you take a look at the scrub brothers they came back to play for the ottawa blackjacks of course they had they ran into a bit of transfer trouble uh, midway through the tournament and uh one of them had to pull out but it was just unbelievable to see the amount of talent uh, all the way from u sports which is something that's close to my heart uh, to international basketball stars um, dominating and playing in the a Canadian League Basketball League. So I think that didn't get the recognition it needs, but they were one of the first people to pull off an actual successful bubble. Um, they did it before the NBA did, so mm-hmm. there's that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Canadian basketball has grown tremendously over the years. I mean, the Raptors winning a championship certainly, you know, you know, yeah accelerated that growth but uh you know we can't forget about these leagues and i i think the cbl um you know did, did a phenomenal job and, and and the fact that it's getting 
you know, partnership with CBC and, and you're seeing a lot of people there, you know, putting the work into telling these important Canadian stories, I think will serve the league well. And hopefully uh, that, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I know you and I have had conversations about this. I mean, this is just so critical to get these sports and these leagues, uh, the awareness that they deserve. My number four is the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl run. And again, that was back uh, when the world was sort of quote-unquote normal. Way back. Way back in uh, January and February. And, and, I, and I think um, the important context here is a couple years, or a couple years ago, so 2019, um, I was at the AFC Championship game when in Kansas City when, when Patrick Mahomes uh, played Tom Brady and the Patriots. And I think like that was the moment where Mahomes had won the MVP of the season, but he, and he played a heck of a game, but just lost in overtime to Tom Brady. But it really felt like that Mahomes was close to being this like next superstar. Like he, he it was sort of, even though Brady won, it was it felt like sort of a passing of the torch that this was probably going to be one of Tom Brady's last legitimate chances to win a Super Bowl, but here's the, the the next quarterback in waiting in Patrick Mahomes. And when you look at last last NFL season, Mahomes was hurt. And then there were questions about whether or not the Chiefs could get back to that point. But once Mahomes got back, he showed that he was back. And when you look at that playoff run, they were down, I believe by double digits in all three of those games, including the Super Bowl, down by 10 in the fourth quarter, and I'll never forget that throw by Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. And, and Mahomes wasn't having the best of games. But then that just turned it around. And you can just see how that offense operates. That once Mahomes gets going, they're just dominant. They're just so difficult to slow down. And the one thing I'll mention too is Andy Reid. I think this is someone that's been around the league for so long. He's... You know, next to Belichick has the most wins out of active head coaches in the NFL. Um, you know, he, he had a chance to win with the Philadelphia Eagles. That fell by the wayside. So for him to finally get the recognition he deserves as a Super Bowl champion uh, was great. So so that run to me, and, and the fact they hadn't won a Super Bowl since 1969 um, also was great. So, so a huge drought broken and, and happy for those uh, passionate Kansas City fans. Yeah, I don't know how happy soccer fans are looking back at that game, seeing uh, who won and Lauren du- uh, duvernay Tardif winning that game, because if he didn't win that game, then Alphonse Davies would have won the Blue Marsh. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. Okay, you just, bro- you just, you just, you just jogged my memory, because now I'm going to spend a few uh, minutes talking about LDT. I mean, look, LDT, uh, look, great. You know, he, he, ha- he has a contract extension. Like, for an offensive lineman, sixth-round pick, most of those guys are out of the league by then. Um, so, for him to have a, for him to have a contract extension um, is huge. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, he actually played you know a decent amount of games in 2019. I know it's considered the 2019 season, but like it, it's at the end of the year. Like I mean, he can't really control that. Um, and, and and then of course, what he did off the field, the fact that he's a doctor. Um, and then going to the front lines in, in his home of Quebec and, and opting out of of the season, um, and, and especially in a year that's been defined, as we've talked about in this podcast, about the COVID-19 pandemic, it certainly uh, was very uh, very philanthropic and altruistic. So, 
yeah, I mean, you know, a chance to talk about LDT. I'll, I'll do it any, I'll, I'll do it every day of the week, Ben. But that's uh, that's my number four story, the Kansas City Chiefs. I definitely like that story, and I'll go to my number three story now. Yep. Uh, I think that's where we're at. Uh, I mean, uh, going through twenty moments, you lose track of it sometimes. <laughs> um, but for me, yeah, I'm going to stick with another Canadian bubble actually, and it's going to be the Canadian Premier League. Yep. The CEBL had their successful bubble, and then the Canadian Premier League. It was sort of up up in the air what they were going to do. Nobody really knew what they were trying to do. The communication from the league was very scarce. Uh, there, I mean, nothing wrong with it, but they were just not giving any anybody any details. Uh, and then out of nowhere, the Island Games and a tournament, a season tournament uh, on Prince Edward Island in a bubble. And for a sophomore league like the CEPL, I did not expect them to be able to pull off a bubble tournament like they did. And uh, they also debuted one of the very first. Um, they debuted one of the very first. Uh, what's it called? Virtual stadiums, I guess it's called. Um, and so, well, in other sports, we saw sports have fake fans. I know CBS did some fake fans at one point. Yeah. Uh, or you saw just the tarps over the field or the digital tarps over the stands. They actually put a fake stadium <laughs> over a university field in Prince Edward Island, and I think that was just unbelievable what the Canadian Premier League did. Um, to have the season go ahead and have a season that wasn't just any season. It was a second season. It was a statement season. Uh, and it was an expansion season as well. And Atletico Ottawa has fans. They've never seen their team play. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I, I called one of the game, the, the York nine games or York United. Now it's called um, for, for, for saga 960 AM. And, and, and I think that look for a lot of those leagues, I mean the the pandemic threw sort of a wrench in their plans because you know this is you know these are gate revenue driven leagues and, and and they need fans in the stands for them to, to to be functional. But they just proved like look, like the CBL, you know we can do it right. Like you know we we can we can you know have sports return safely um, amidst the pandemic. So I think those two leagues that you just mentioned, uh, four and three, certainly uh, you know deserve a lot of credit. In, in you know trying to navigate a very challenging and I'll use this word again unprecedented environment um, and I thought they did a very good job and we'll see what they do heading into 2021 and beyond yeah it's definitely going to be interesting I mean you brought up that York United uh, formerly York 9FC has undergone a rebrand this year I think what they did to rebrand the club was magnificent I think it's a lot better uh, to do a rebrand like that than to announce that you're changing name take a season under uh, empty name basically and then introduce a new name I think just doing that very quickly um, with still thinking it out uh, is the best idea and I really think that the York United makes more sense because while York 9 was modern it was hip it was cool every time that I mentioned York 9 to somebody they would either say it's a dumb name or I would have to explain it to them and then they would sort of get it but York United it actually makes sense in this context I know Mm. you and I talked about how so many North American teams will just slap United onto the end of their name and it's United or FC or Atletico in Ottawa or Athletic or just something sort of like that um, to make it seem very soccer and very American or like an American version of a bastardized British soccer team. It, it doesn't work. But so you can't look at a team like Atlanta United and just stuck United on the end of that. DC United did the same. But York United, it takes those nine regions that were in the original name and unites them. It makes sense. <laughs> It's the same thing that happened with Manchester United, where one club took took over another, and then, of course, Manchester City popped up a few years after that, but they weren't going to change the name again. So this makes sense. I think, unfortunately, 
United has been sort of worn out. Um, but one thing I didn't like from it is that they went to a new color scheme. And I think the sort of rave green Seattle Sounders-esque color scheme they had before uh, was a little sharper and a little more fun. Um, but I also like the heritage they're paying to Fort York uh, and the usual that were um, based in that area. So my number three, um, I've sort of combined uh, the three, um, the Dodgers, the Lakers, and the Lightning um, into one. And and all these three teams have something in common. They won in uh, bubble environments. Um, Certainly... The MLB, what you know, was a little bit uh, truncated with uh, the with Globe Life Field and whatnot, having fans in the stands, but but still the same thing applies. And I think, look, when you look at the Lakers and the Lightning, I mean, you know, again, being able to to go in the bubble for that period of time um, and and try to win a championship, I think we 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 don't really get uh, you know we 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 haven't really. You know, encapsulate the full sense of what these athletes have gone through, and we've heard some, you know, bits and pieces. I mean, Pascal Siakam talked about it how it was challenging to be in the bubble, how he didn't have fun in the bubble at all. So I think we we we've we've sort of undervalued. I mean, what these what these athletes had to go through just to get the, the you know the seasons off the ground and finished. And if you look at sort of the three team stories, uh, I'll go quickly here. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, of course, a year ago had gotten swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They come back. I mean, this has been a team that's been knocking at the door. They come back and avenge that Blue Jackets defeat with a Blue Jackets series win. And you can just see that this team was just exuding confidence. And they just have so many great players top to bottom. I shout out to Barkley Goudreau, a CDS alum uh, from Aurora, Ontario. Uh, Thanks for making us proud for once again winning a Stanley Cup, bringing the Cup back to Aurora. So for them to win the Cup uh, first time since 2004, I think is sort of a nice coronation for a team that's just been knocking the door for for so long. Obviously, the Los Angeles Lakers look LeBron James um, in, in his second season with the Lakers for him, and, and then Anthony Davis, who I think really took a step into becoming a real superstar in this league for him and and, and LeBron to, to have that one-two punch. It, it looks like LeBron once again being an ageless wonder for him to continue to do masterful things on the basketball court and. For them to win their first championship in 10 years. And then the LA Dodgers. Sort of another team again. Knocking at the door. They had been to two World Series. Lost both of them. Um, Clayton Kershaw. There were questions about his postseason performance. But for, for the Dodgers to finally you know, come back from 3-1 down in the NLCS. Uh, to win that in, in seven games. And then overcome that uh, crazy game four against the Tampa Bay Rays, which is one of the best plays of the year, that ending, um, and then winning and winning six games, uh, first World Series since 1988. So I got the three bubble teams, uh, the Dodgers, the Lakers, and the Lightning. It's my number three. I mean, you're missing one. I don't think you can really discount what uh, Sue Bird and the Seattle of course. in the uh, WNBA bubble as well and that was unbelievable what uh super has done throughout her career and uh, like christine sinclair uh she's inspired so many young girls to pick up basketball uh and she's just been unbelievable and still dominant in her twilight years so i think you do have to include include the seattle i will uh in that conversation um 
and uh, they nearly got another championship as well, the, or the city of Seattle, but uh, they fell 3-0 uh, to the Columbus Crew in the MLS Cup Final. Yeah, I will definitely, uh, you know, include that. My favorite number is number four, so so, so it's, let's, uh, let's get four in there um, with, with that. So, um, yeah, congrats to all those teams. Ben, we're, we're, we're winding down here. Uh, what's your number two? Yeah, for me, number two is going to be every Canadian team that moved south of the border, whether that be the Vancouver Whitecaps, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes in the Independent Baseball League, Toronto FC, uh, Montreal Impact, really anybody, the Toronto Raptors, you can't forget them. Anybody who have, has had to go south of the border, uh, not only into a bubble, but outside your own country, uh, where things are, they're not as peaceful in the U.S., uh, if you want to put it simply, uh, as they might be in Canada. I mean, Canada certainly has issues too. But U.S. is a different story. Um, and I think that has just taken a toll on so many people. I mean, you look at the Whitecaps. They relocated to Portland. And Portland had a National Guard on the street outside the hotel. It was insane. People couldn't leave the hotel uh, even to go for a walk sort of thing. So I think that has really taken a toll on all the teams that have had to relocate and all the players and all the staff and all the coaches. Um, that, that really deserves some recognition. And that's why it's second on my list. No, I mean, look, I mean, we again, it goes back to my point about thinking of these athletes as humans. And, and you know, you, you sort of take for granted, well, they're playing sports. They're these immortal figures. No, I mean, they have, they're, they're human beings. They have, you know, the same, you know, challenges, emotions that, that you and I do. And, and to say, oh, we're going to completely, you know, relocate. I know they're making a lot of money, you know, some of them. and But some of them maybe not as much compared to the big four. But still... It's so hard, and, and and you can't understate the the mental toll that, that that doing this is having on athletes. And I just think that more, whether it's journalists, whether it's just the general public, I think need to just, just sort of pay attention to that and make a make a you know recognize that this is a reality. And and uh, you gotta give them credit for doing that to you know ensure that these leagues can now restart and 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 occur. Yeah, and I mean, MLS right now is in a bit of a, a holding pattern because the Canadian teams really don't know what they're doing. Who knows if the board is going to be open uh, in March when they want to start a season. So maybe we see a little Canadian division again, but maybe it's back to Portland for the Whitecaps and back to Connecticut for Toronto FC. So it's certainly still a fluid situation, but I do have to commend everybody who has made that adjustment. So my number two, and, and you know, I could all, I mean, I could even put this in a tie for number one, um, but is is how sort of the anti-black racism protests uh spill i mean spilled over and intersected with sports and, and obviously this stemmed from the tragic murder of, of george floyd back in back in may and look i mean i think sports and social issues have intersected for for generations i mean you go back to you go, back, you go back to Jesse Owens. You go back to um, Muhammad Ali. And, and, and it's Colin Kaepernick in 2016. And it's always been there. But it's always been met with this sort of, you know, negative, you know, castigation, if you will. Like, oh, sports and politics can't intersect. You got to shut up and dribble. All this sort of negative ne negativity and, and real dismissal of uh, social issues and social justice. But... This is this was really different. Um, I, I feel like, and obviously the, the nature of the murder was obviously, I mean, look, so you know, so you know, horrific. And but 
COVID-19 played a role. I mean, we're all in our homes and we all had to sort of, you know, reflect on the reckoning that was occurring in terms of, you know, racial equality and anti-black racism. And this obviously intersected in sports in, in, in numerous ways. I mean, I think back to May and June, obviously, when, when sports restarted, a lot of the teams took, you know, kneeled during the anthem. I think back, I mean, I mentioned Naomi Osaka. I mean, we, we look back at, at, at the actual pause that occurred in August and really how, again, I mean, this is this is just bigger than sports. And, and the fact of the matter is these athletes have, have quite a platform and, you know, to, to affect change and, and, and to raise awareness. And I think what this has taught me and I think a lot of others is just like the importance of being an ally and luring and having the self-awareness that black people go through, you know, racial injustice, you know, every day, you know, to, to a degree. And, and so I think there was a lot of conversation this year, more, more, more so than every year. I think there were, there were tangible change. I mean, you look at the NBA and MBPA as a result of that pause, they, they established a social justice coalition. They opened arenas up for voting um, the hockey with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And look, there's still a long ways to go. I mean, I don't think we're going to fully eradicate racism overnight. But I think that we really saw that, you know, the players have a voice and they have a very powerful voice. We saw the NFL players basically force the commissioner to apologize for his treatment of Colin Kaepernick because of a video they released uh, related to Black Lives Matter. So, that's been a big part of the year, of course, and uh, you know, you know, whenever we talk about 2020 in sports, that that's certainly near the top of the list. I think that definitely has to be near the top of the list. It was something like we've never really seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, we've seen it somewhat with guys like Jesse Owens, but uh, one that was a long time ago. Uh, too, we haven't seen it transcend sport like it has uh, so much this year. And I think, as you said, there's tangible change. Um, sure, it's disappointing that the HDA and the NHL are separate, but also it gives the HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, uh, a bit more independence, and they can call out the NHL if the NHL is not doing something right. So that didn't exist before 2020, so that's a step in the right direction, but it's still a long way away from where it needs to be. No doubt, no doubt. And, and you know, I just think, again, it's, it, you know, and then, and then a whole other conversation related to this was just, I think there there is greater awareness now of the need for, in sports media, for more diversity, like more more diverse voices. I mean, it's been well known that sports media is predominantly white. I think a lot of the companies in terms of the, the executive positions, a lot of them, them are white. And I just think that giving though you know people of color a platform giving them a chance to you know you know share their voice and and actually you you know it's not just a matter of doing the right thing it's becoming more of an economic thing now a lot of companies i know that the athletic is launching a whole culture vertical in addition to their various verticals on that website like it's becoming an actual economic tool to to generate revenue like that we need to tell these stories and and uh so yeah, I mean a lot. Um, a lot ha- certainly happened. A lot of heavy stuff, you know, and, and hopefully um, more change to come. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, I, I will move on to my number one. Point Go ahead, now. Ben. Um, and I'm still sticking with something that is a little bit of a downer. It has to do with COVID nineteen. Of course, it does. Um, but I also think it was a bit of a strong arm by Canada 
who stepped out and boycotted mm. the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Yeah. Sure, the Olympics were canceled, but before they were, Canada wasn't even going to go. They had boycotted because of COVID-19. The Canadian Olympic Committee and the Canadian government didn't see that it was going to be safe to go to these games, and they showed leadership. They were the first country to boycott these games, and Canada is not often the leader on these sort of things. It's usually the U.S., it's usually Great Britain. Canada wasn't the leader when they boycotted the 1980 games. That was the Americans. They were The games were in Moscow. But this is something different. Canada led the way in the world at the Summer Games, which is not something that they're a superpower in. Mm-hmm. Sure, Rosie McLennan will win the trampoline. Sure, you have a couple medals here and there. Um, the women seem to be uh, stapled to the bronze medal in soccer. Um, <laughs> but Canada led the way, and I, that's never happened before, where Canada has led the way in something like that in this area that they don't usually dominate. And uh, we saw more dominant countries step out after that, uh, follow Canada's lead, uh, like Australia opted out days later. And then a few weeks later, the actual games were postponed until 2022. Um, but I think that was definitely uh, a big moment for Canada. And I think that would be the most important Canadian sports moment this year. I can't disagree with you, Ben. I mean, I remember for the longest time saying, well, you know, this was pre-Rudy Gobert. Like, there's there, there's just no way. Like, the Olympic Games, there's just no way they're going to get postponed, canceled, whatever. And I just think, again, it, it was one of those moments where when that tweet notification came up on my phone, it's like, wow. Like, this isn't, like, the United States taking the lead. Like, this is Canada. And they certainly, you know, forced the hand of a lot of countries and certainly the IOC to say, look, this is this is not safe. And I remember talking with a Paralympic athlete, you know, a few days later after the announcement for a story, and he was just saying, like, how, you know, we're, you know, it was tough, especially for this, this was a guy that, you know, he's near the end of his career, but there's a real opportunity for rebirth at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics when it's safe to do so. And I think if we're sort of looking ahead, I think there is great optimism. And I think, like, you'll look back at this and say, wow, like, Canada a leader in many ways and, and and this is certainly one one, one example in sports where, where where they took the lead and and, and made um, an impactful uh made, made an impact it definitely is and i mean canada taking the lead in the summer games i think is something that sort of gets lost too you yep. think of canada the olympics you think crosby the golden goal you think of canada and the crazy canucks and skiing and uh steve podrobsky's uh medal that he won and you think canada snow winter games that's usually your thing yeah Canada is always near the top of the medal charts in the Winter Games. So if Canada steps out of the Winter Games, that is a massive signal. If Canada steps out of the Summer Games, it doesn't mean too much in the grand scheme of things. You could still put on a very high-level Olympic Games, but this was the first time that Canada really put their foot down and cemented themselves as an important player uh, in the Summer Olympic Games, and I think that was just so important to uh, not only the current situation, but where Canada stands uh, on the importance of amateur sports uh, and the importance of uh, summer amateur sport in this country. So my top moment, and I, I made a little reference to it uh, yesterday on Twitter, and that is, um, that's Kimi, and, and Kimi becoming the, the, the Miami Marlins GM. And, and, and I just think that, I mean, I wanted to end it on a high note because I'm, you know, glass half full kind of guy. But, uh, but, but in all seriousness, I, I, look, to have a woman be a GM of a big four professional sports team is massive. To have an Asian woman to boot is just remarkable. 
Um, and and look, I know there were there were articles, rightfully so, that said like they took Shulon and it was well overdue, and, 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 and that's a completely fair point. I mean, this is someone in Kimmy who had won three World Series and she had a, you know an impressive resume, and like should have been you know given this given given the you know the keys to the kingdom, uh, you know being a GM way earlier, but. You can't understate the significance of this. And, and and the fact that you look at women in sports in 2020, you look at Sarah Fuller recently and, and her becoming you know the first female woman in a uh, Power 5 NCAA football game. And I just think that in general, in 2020, women aren't as hesitant to just call out the discrimination, the sexism, the misogyny in sports, and, and we're seeing Twitter become a real platform for that, for women in media and sports media, as well as you know women athletes to, to, to do the same thing. And I, and I just think that for Kim to be in that position, to be an executive of a team, it just inspires a future generation of women who now believe that they could be like Kim In. And, and there was a great graphic on MLB.com where there's this little girl watching on TV and they, and they see Kim and, and it's basically a metaphor of like, you can be that one day. It, it's not impossible. So I think women in sports certainly broke many glass ceilings in 2020. I think Kimming certainly one of the most significant. And I just think it, 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 there's great momentum going ahead into 2020 and beyond where we'll see women GMs Women executives in, in hockey, women executives in NFL and NBA. So, so I don't think it's it's too distant of a thought into the future. But you got to start somewhere. And, and, and Kimming um, being the first female GM um, for the Miami Marlins is, is my top story of 2020. Yeah, that's a very good top story. And I do think that we'll start to see a lot more women uh, in GM positions in the future. I mean, there's a couple names in hockey that. Uh, maybe they're a little young to be GMs right now. Maybe they don't have that experience yet, like Gaming has had. Um, but I could see them definitely taking that step within the next 20 years. And I think uh, this next sort of 20 to 30 year period is going to see a lot of females take on a role high up in our organization. Um, so I think that's a very important uh, thing in the year. And it's already in hockey. It's already in uh, European hockey with Warren Schelling with SC Burn. Of course. And well, that that concludes our top 10. And, you know, again, you know, just uh, an unprecedented year. I mean, I, you know, I can't believe that, you know, when, when we when we started back, I mean, I remember 2019 being, there were so many moments when you think of the Raptors winning and Bianca Andreescu and, and so many moments, but I couldn't imagine what the year would unfold starting January 1. But Ben, I mean, are, are, are any thoughts? You know, any parting thoughts heading into you know the the, the new year? Because I do think, like we said off the air, there is some optimism. I mean, in, in a lot of these topics, and and then the fact that a vaccine is in Canada, that the people are getting inoculated right now. I mean, it's small doses, but the rollout has begun. It's here. You gotta you know say that that's uh, you know back in March to think that nine months later we have a vaccine here is. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I think that's going to really decide whether or not uh, we can go back to normal, you know, quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's all about how fast that vaccine comes out and uh, how many people are going to be uh, able to take it. And there's definitely a strong anti-vax campaign, which is certainly mm-hmm. worrying me. But looking ahead to, in sports in 2021, 
I really don't know what to expect. If you told me that this is what sport was going to look like in 2020, I would have called you a liar. So I am clueless on what's going to happen in 2021. I don't have any predictions other than maybe who's going to win certain things. But as for what it looks like, are we going to see fans? Are we going to see sport in Canada, uh, across like cross-border sport? So it, it's all going to be unexpected. It's all going to be different, and I'm just here for it all. Likewise, Ben Steiner, he is the managing editor, CEO, all of the above of 49 Sportnet. He also does great work for, for Alpine Canada, the Kingston Frontenac as well. So make sure to check him out on Twitter at Ben Steiner. And Ben, a, a real pleasure once again to have you on the We Sports Chronicles podcast, breaking down uh, the, the, the year in review and happy and healthy 2021 to you. I was very happy to join you today, and it's been a weird year in sports, so it was sort of cool to look back at it.